KHAN is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. K-Hen and Little Red Hen, just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Hey, welcome, friends, to another segment of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman, and here, here at KHEN. And here at KHEN, we also record all these, all these shows, and so you can, you can listen to a whole bunch of them as a podcast, which is kind of fun. We've got our engineer. We've got our feet next to the uh, next to the old stove. We got, even though it's ecologically not good to burn coal, we we still have a little. A little room for a coal fire back here in our in our caboose, and so we, without further delay, we want to get back to where we were when we when we got into this discussion, and that's uh, Fred Friedman, who is a raconteur. He's a raconteur of of uh, railroad history. Uh, he lives in beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, which of course uh, very important uh, rail hub. Very soon, once they get they're, once they get their railroad going again, we can talk to him about that too. So we've got so many topics today, but we really would like to hear more about his um, detailed knowledge of how the Native American folks became the the linchpin, so to speak, linchpin of um, tie gang, all kinds of tie gangs in the West. And so, welcome, Fred. Boris, thanks very much. And, and uh, uh, Rick, I appreciate being on uh, on this show. I think it's it's interesting and uh, looks like you have a lot of good, uh, good speakers. Uh, not that I'm one of them, but uh, I, I know something about New Mexico railroading history, and I'm, I'm anxious to share that. Uh, Forrest, you mentioned that uh, Santa Fe has a new railroad. Um, that that's true. We there's a, a branch that runs up from uh, Lamy, 18 miles into the city, and it's been around for 142 years, and um, it's had good years and bad years. Um, I'd like to say that it, uh, it it sort of resembles a phoenix in that it's arisen from its own ashes on uh, multiple occasions, and most recently it's been purchased by uh, George Martin and some other investors, but uh, Mr. Martin is the author of Game of Thrones, and uh, wow. he, they're emphasizing uh, that kind of um, excitement for the new, new train ride. I think uh, uh, Mr. Martin was uh, really hit the, the nail on the head when he said, 
you know, uh, Santa Fe doesn't have the scenery that the Durango and Silverton does, or even that the Cumbres and Toltec has. Um, so what we need to sell is the ride. And they have uh, really moved forward in having all kinds of excursion trains from uh, night astronomy visits to uh, gourmet wine tasting trains, um, history trains, all kinds of things like that. And I, and I think what, what they plan to do is really to see which ones of, of those trains are more popular and uh, put the money in whatever people seem to be interested in doing. So, so we're glad to see that little branch line uh, uh, finally moving again. So let me, uh, it, so Fred, the, uh, the line's been there for a, a lot, a lot of years. Yeah, 142. But it's just been kind of recently, re it's being reused. It was owned by the Santa Fe, uh, Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe up until 1992. And when all of those class one railroads started to have financial issues, they, uh, they uh, put several, well, they put 62 of their branch lines system-wide up for sale or placed them in abandonment categories. And this one was one of them. And finally, two uh, local entrepreneurs that had a little bit of money, but no railroad background, just decided they wanted to keep that train going. And they ran it for 20 years until it began to be just overwhelming. And at that point, uh, Mr. Martin and his uh, fellow uh, entrepreneurs put money into the line and they're in the process of uh, rehabilitating the rolling stock as well as uh, the right of way. And there's a lot of community support for that. And uh, we think it's gonna go. But uh, what's fascinating to me as a, as a rail historian is uh, how this line continually reinvents itself. And as I said earlier, seems to arise from disastrous uh, circumstances um, bursting into a new direction. So I, that's great. Yeah, sounds it, like- It is exciting. And you know, Fred, uh, for a while, the predecessor of this group was trying to meet the, the, the Southwest chief. Uh -huh. And so that you could take the chief to Lamy, get off the chief, get on this, and then go right into downtown you know, Santa Fe. Yeah. Uh, but the chief being the chief, even in those days, we're very, you can't depend on when it's going to come through then or, or now, really. And, and so people were disappointed and upset. And, you know, so that I think they finally, do you think they've given up on that idea now, Fred? I, I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, the, the new railroad, this, it used to be called the Santa Fe branch of the ATNSF. That's what that whole 18 mile line was called. And when the original um, repurchasers in 1992 bought it, they renamed it the Santa Fe Southern. The most recent group has now renamed it again to Sky Railway. So Sky has, Railway. Yeah. So nice. know, it's it, same railroad uh, throughout <laughs> history, but uh, different names, different owners, uh, different attitudes. So all that's great as long as they keep uh, keep ahead of the forest fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, it, well, but anyway, and... <laughs> I, I wanted to get into the Native American railroad workers called steel gangs, but maybe you had some questions on that for us to, uh, to, well, to get the, me started. Well, the steel, steel gangs, well, we were just wondering how, how these groups 
stayed in touch with their native Pueblos because they might be doing steel work out and, you know, a thousand miles away. Well, not a thousand, but a long ways away. <clears throat> I mean, did they all stop for certain festivals and things or, or keep right on going? Or Well, it, it was different depending on which group we're talking about in terms of Native American railroad workers. <clears throat> the uh, two of the more interesting ones are the Navajo railroad workers or steel gangs that were track uh, construction and maintenance crews and the, the Laguna gr groups. Let me just talk briefly, if I could, about the Laguna uh, railroad workers. Their history goes all the way back to the transcontinental railroad moving west from um, from Albuquerque and, and Berlin uh, through Arizona and connecting uh, in California eventually. But when that railroad was moving through Laguna territory, it was stopped by Laguna people and an agreement was hammered out and an oral agreement uh, sealed with a handshake. It's not written, but the agreement essentially was that in order to pass through Laguna tribal lands, the Atlantic and Pacific needed to provide jobs to Laguna men. Um, there was some discussion that went all the way back to the uh, superintendent of the system. Um, it was agreed to. The bottom line was that there was an agreement in place, an oral agreement, and that oral agreement has a name and it's called the Flower of Friendship. And that can be researched. You can look it up. And um, that informal agreement is still in place and has been honored by the railroads that succeeded the Atlantic and Pacific. It's been honored by the ATNSF and the Burlington Northern to the extent that the Burlington Northern Railroad periodically visits Laguna Pueblo and puts um, people from the governing staff, as well as section crews from Laguna on the train, has taken them out to California on a special business car, provided meals and accommodations, and then take them back home. <clears throat> and that's in appreciation of all the work that the Laguna tribe has done from the uh, late 1880s to the present time um, in times of national railroad strikes in, in times of uh, um, war when um, available man manpower wasn't that accessible. The Laguna people have a, a long sustained and ongoing uh, working relationship with the Burlington Northern and the Burlington Northern likes to recognize that. As I said, the treaty is called the flower of friendship. The act of recognizing that, that treaty, sending business cars out, having relations with the tribe is known as the watering of the flower. And that's been carried in the Albuquerque Journal. It's been carried in the Gallup Independent. And it's, it's really interesting. Your, one of your question was, how did the native people retain their culture? There were uh, railroad villages established all the way between uh, Laguna and the West Coast at Barstow, Los Angeles, um, Flagstaff, <clears throat> Gallup, and <clears throat> the one remaining Laguna village uh, that is still in place is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and those people meet periodically. Um, there were boxcar villages that the people lived in, and they also worked with Acoma uh, native workers, 
And the Acoma painted their boxcars one color, the Lagunas had theirs another color, but they all interacted. And Native children went to the local schools in Flagstaff or in Barstow or in um, Winslow, Arizona. And um, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a real beer, uh, badge of honor to be called a boxcar baby, meaning that uh, you were the child of a railroad worker born in a boxcar. And uh, a lot of those people have grown up to uh, continue to work with the Burlington Northern, a lot of them in executive positions with the railroad now. Well, now, that's different than the Navajo story. But if you have a question, maybe I'll stop and give you a chance. Well, we're, we're just we're just wondering, I mean, um, you talk about some of these very famous ceremonies that they would have, like apparently the bean ceremony, when the first beans would sort of sprout and be put in the ground and stuff. Well, <clears throat> they weren't anywhere near their farms or anything. So um, how did they, did some of them come home then for that, I wonder, or? periodically they come, they came home but but the uh, the governing council at the pueblo of laguna had to authorize the establishment of these satellite villages along the rail line and what was interesting when i've talked to some of the laguna people um they've told me that the culture and the language and a lot of the history of the Laguna people was stronger in the railroad villages because it wasn't so susceptible to uh, tourists and to the distraction of people wanting to get off the Pueblo to find jobs, um, having a, a general negative effect on a lot of the cultural heritage of the Laguna people. But in the, in the native railroad villages, in some of those communities that I mentioned, the language was a, a, a pure Laguna, Laguna language, and the culture was um, uncontaminated by a lot of outsiders. So ironically, a lot of that heritage was not only retained as a result of being uh, railroad uh, villages and boxcar villages, but it was enhanced. Really interesting. Really interesting because there's so much emphasis these days on retaining the culture of, of native peoples. And uh, yet there it happened just because of geography. Now, how is it today? Uh, those villages probably don't really exist anymore, I assume. No, they, they don't. And I've, I've asked some of the native people, how do you guys get a job with the railroad now if you want to? And they sort of looked indignantly at me and said, well, we do it like you do online. <laughs> okay. okay so uh so you know everything's up to date in kansas city wow so but uh, what about the main laguna settlement now which would be where out it's, be uh, out it's between gallup and albuquerque oh, okay and it's uh. it's on i-40 I so uh but one one of the the issues and the concerns um, at at Laguna is um, the the heritage of of Laguna railroad workers is strong among um, not only the people that did it but their descendants too. It's not so interesting apparently to adolescents growing up on the pueblo, and there is a concern that that important heritage of being boxcar babies, of being a descendant of the flower of friendship 
agreement and those kinds of things um, need to be formalized, documented, and made available to kids growing up that live in the Pueblo that are Laguna residents and citizens. But they wow. they tend to be interested in computers and movies and things that all kids are interested in. Yeah. yeah. So there's so there's some concern about the possible uh, degradation of that element of their culture. That a lot of people feel that that's very important. They're very proud of it, and they don't want to see it lost. Yeah. How about marriages? Do they tend to still marry within the Laguna? tribes or do they mix up or they all i know is that they do intermarry but i don't know how, how that how that works and uh, oh. just <clears throat> not privy to that interesting hey Forrest. Oh, you say akama oh go ahead yeah but you say akama was part of it akama was well um, even today laguna and akama kids go to the same high school so the, those oh. two pueblos and, and and tribal groups are very close both geographically and philosophically. Yeah. Hey, Forrest, I wanted to ask you, have you ever been to that Laguna church? It's one of the beauties of the Southwest. It's visible from, from I-40. And uh, I've been in there several times. Wouldn't drive by without stopping. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's whitewashed white, so it stands out there. It does. And you can you can really see it. It's really amazing. Yeah. The the, the Laguna tribe is particularly uh, progressive. Um, it has a high uh, a high level of college educated uh, people within the pueblo. It had the first constitution of all of the pueblos, and at one point it had a Jewish governor. I'll be darned. Yeah, so it's a very interesting, progressive uh, group. And as a matter of fact, when we were talking about the railroad coming through in 1880, when that railroad came from Colorado down through Raton, Las Vegas, and passed through a number of the Pueblos, none of those Pueblos objected to the railroads or thought that they had any ability to do so. The people at Laguna did object and we're able to uh, arrange an agreement, jobs in exchange for right-of-way passage through there, um, principally because prior to the railroad coming through, a number of the early railroad surveyors ended up living and residing at Laguna Pueblo and intermarrying there. Um, those surveyors knew very well how the railroad worked, what its plans were for the future, and they shared that information with the Pueblo people so that when the construction view crews were viewed approaching the eastern boundary of the Pueblo, um, leadership there knew exactly how to deal with the railroad. And that's how they got the treaty established and in place and recognized and still honored today. That's delightful. Just delightful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but a, you're saying, they're saying the Navajo were a different story. Navajo, Navajo were, were different in, in that they, they were wanderers and they were, had a reputation to being uh, raiders. And in 1868, they were forced to sign a treaty with the United States government that among other things, uh, sent them to Bosque Redondo for the long walk. 
And I think uh, General Sherman, after uh, finishing up the Civil War, needed something to do uh, so he could use guns and swords and ammunition. Uh, so they thought that he'd be a good pick to, uh, to uh, negotiate, I think it, uh, the word was, with the Navajo people. And in that treaty that was signed in 1868, um, the Navajo were admonished against doing anything destructive or negative toward the railroad that was going to be approaching on their land. Um, that was in conjunction with a time period when trade was beginning to um, have less um, financial emphasis um, on the Navajo uh, reservation than um, wages. So a lot of the, the native people were looking for wage jobs at the same time that the railroad was looking for labor, the railroad um, turned to traders on the reservation who in turn were influential in getting groups of workers um, to work sites for uh, the uh, Atlantic and Pacific and the AT&SF. Uh, so the, the traders had a large role in it and um, that's, how they, that's how they started. Wow, interesting. And, and uh, is that true today? And are there a lot of Navajo workers out there on the Santa Fe? There, uh, yeah, there are a lot of uh, um, Native American railroad workers, but they tend not to be in the homogenous groups like they used to, used to be that would be exclusively Mexican railroad workers, ex exclusively uh, Asian workers, exclusively Navajo there was sort of a, an unintended consequence with the affirmative action uh, laws that were passed in the 1960s. And, and those laws in part prohibited the railroad from having the, these exclusive ethnic um, railroad crews. Um, as a result of affirmative action and equal opportunity, the railroads could no longer have all Navajo crews all Acoma crews, all Pima crews. They had to begin integrating them. So everybody was traded equally. As a result of that, a lot of the native people wouldn't work with people that didn't speak their language, didn't understand their culture, because those crews had to work together. They had to know what people were talking about in terms of safety, if there was an emergency. And they a lot of the native crews tended to be self-organized and self-structured. One of the reasons the railroads enjoyed the crew so much was the fact that they were self-policing. If one man didn't show up one day, the crew made sure the next day two guys replaced him. The railroads also liked the native crews because they tended not to file workmen's comp claims against the railroad if they were injured. They tended to either try to take care of it themselves, or if there was um, a, a medicine, medicine man or a cultural way to deal with any injury they had, they tended to go that way. Um, the other reason that the railroads uh, liked the native crew so much was the fact that they tended not to file workman comp claims if they got hurt. So it was, uh, it was a win-win for the railroads, and it was also a, a win for the Navajo people because they had an opportunity to earn a wage, which they wanted. They had an opportunity to keep their culture intact by talking and conversing with other um, Navajo people or Acoma people within their individual steel gangs. And um, it, um, it, 
They were also particularly good at repetitive tasks. They could go for, for miles um, bent over in the hot July and August sun on the main line with pouches of spikes on either hip, placing those spikes in pre-drilled holes as they went along with, I don't know about you, but my back would be killing me after 20 minutes oh, of that. Oh my goodness, yes. But these guys were able to do that and they were very well organized so that after a spike was uh, forced, uh, Rick, a question? No, no, I was telling Forrest oh, five minutes? about five minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to have another segment. We, we've got to do another segment here in a few days to, to just to begin to deal with this. Plus, we haven't even begun to deal with the influence on the West Texas Cowboys. Now, <laughs> and that influence, too, because um, Rick does a, a, a wonderful radio show here every uh, Monday afternoon. And it, it's it's uh, West Texas music. Yeah, thank and, you. Uh, I will. Uh, I'll plug that show to your to your listeners. Um, it's a, a Texas music variety show, and it's called Bacon Lubbock Tomato Sandwich. And I've been doing it for about three years, and I have a lot of listeners like Forrest. They are far and wide, and if that has any interest to you, listeners. Um, check it out at khen.org. 106.9. Well, that 106.9 doesn't work for our far-reaching listeners. Well, of course it doesn't. No, they have to, they have to go for, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Thank you for but, it. But that, well, we, well, let's not even begin to get we got to have another segment yeah. and, and get Fred back here. Poor Fred, we're going to just run him ragged here, but get him back here and see... Because that influence went both ways, of course, went over to the Cowboys, and um, gee, we've only we've only, we've got so many topics. Wow, and um, not that much time, and and also we haven't apparently the Pima were a part of this equation, and uh, and also certainly in my own railroad background, that that's why I had to learn quite a little bit of Spanish, because the uh, our crews, our exclusive crews, were uh, all Spanish-speaking, uh, and um, we're pretty happy with that. And uh, we, well, we once went down to Zacatecas, and uh, we got uh, taken out to dinner and chatted with family members from uh, up here who's who would come up here and um, in the you know and, and work on the railroad up here. On the Burlington, this was Burlington in, in my day. And uh, well, Fred, now, before we for sure get you back signed up for another segment here to get into all these other questions, um, is well, is there any final word you want to make or say when you're, if and when your next course is going to come up too? That's, that's important. Uh, I, I, yeah. I'm in the process of putting that together. I don't have that yet. Yeah. But uh, that's going to be, be worth going down to Santa Fe to, to step in on some of those. Now, we're getting so, all kinds of time signals. We are. We know. Let's forget for just for a moment that there is any time because we're here in the caboose. We've got our feet next to the cold stove. We're relaxed. And let's just for a while think about what we want. What do we want this country to become? How do we... How do we incorporate these 
this this wonderful history things like the that that uh flower of friendship my gosh what a wonderful name for a treaty very, and what, very nice what, image isn't that a lovely image mm -hmm. ah. yeah and and amazingly it's unwritten it's sealed there. with a handshake gee that's Try just that today that's it okay we're almost out of time uh, look, this has been another segment of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman, from the KHEN Caboose, right here in the back. And uh, for those who do podcasts, it's, there's a podcast. And just wonderful having Fred Friedman with us here. And we've got at least one more segment just to begin to get into these topics. Fred, do you want to have any last word for this segment before we yell highball and whistle off here? <laughs> yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Fred. All right, let's lean out the back door of the lean out the back of the caboose. I've got a few Z going here. I can see that red sparkling on the snow. We're gonna toss that few Z into the air so the engineer up there, engineer Rick White, will open the throttle. And we're gonna on the count of three, we're gonna do a great big highball. One, two, three. Highball! 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 High Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner.